So welcome to episode 21 of Design Truth. I have absolutely no idea how we made it to episode 21. Uh, my name is Brad Harper. I'm an industrial design recruiter. And me, and an actual designer called Drew, um, just basically catch up with people in the industry, see how they're getting on. And um, for some reason, I've still made it this far. Um, today, we're joined by Joe Bernard over at Marama. I'm sure you'll know all about Joe and Frankly, she'll explain it far better than me in a little minute. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks for listening, as always. Appreciate your support. And um, if you ever just want to get involved in the pod in any capacity, then you can always try us at hello at designtruth.co.uk. Thank you. interesting when i was listening through some of the other podcasts you've done recently was this kind of sense of i wouldn't say winging it but this kind of sense of like um there was like an endearing kind of moment when you said that you didn't have insurance <laughs> for a while um i probably should get you to introduce yourself first i'm pretty bad at doing that but just bring us up to speed with who who you are and um and uh what Maram was all about you've probably hopefully nailed down what that kind of pitch is now have you had a few goes at it with others but what what exactly is Marama to anyone that hasn't got a bloody clue uh what it's all about Marama is an industrial design agency we're based in Shoreditch in East London uh we're a team of eight and we our target kind of client I guess is predominantly startups Right. Uh, so that doesn't mean that we rule out working with other agencies. It just, um, sorry, with other companies. It just means that our our process is very much targeted towards kind of bringing new innovative ideas to market, uh, making products that that can go to manufacture, uh, working quite lean and uh, de-risking pro- projects as we go through, so that. But at the same time, making sure that there is something that is different and that there has a reason for it to exist in the market. Otherwise, obviously, a startup's going to fall flat on its face if it doesn't do anything new and exciting. Mm-hmm. So it that's yeah, that's essentially what we do, and 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 that encompasses obviously the product end to end. So literally from that napkin sketch to manufacture, but also throughout that process, we typically end up doing the brand, do the packaging, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you know all the way through to logistics and art direction and support. No, onwards onwards from there really yeah i suppose startup is one of those where it's like they always say go niche don't they so it's like niche enough in the sense of there is startups are quite niche but it's also broad enough for you and the team where you've got something new coming in all the time and so you know it's not just travel stuff you're doing you're doing beauty grooming all that kind of stuff so there's that perfect balance of i'm sure there's risks that come with startups right like they, they lose money and it's like crap yes. but there is a benefit as such of you can keep yourself and the team relatively creatively happy um which is definitely rather than just the same old drug delivery you know kind of auto injector <laughs> there's only so many times you can do that before you, you start to lose the will to live um so I, I presume was that a conscious decision or just 
something that's just formed over time and you've just found your, found your kind of place in the agency world? Uh, it's definitely a conscious decision. It didn't feel like an area that was being really targeted by agencies and there's an obvious reason why. I think if you're an established consultancy, t- t- like turning your attention just to working with startups it is very, very difficult because of, you know, startups and tourists don't have a huge amount of money. Um, but I think that if you get it, I, I'd like to think that we've we've got enough of kind of uh, in our portfolio now, you know, enough success stories under our belt that that we attract those slightly higher caliber startups. Mm. When I say higher caliber, not to say that there's a differentiation between a good idea and a better it's, idea, but just ones that have not, gone not, further, slightly further like, down the line. Uh, it's not like Dragon's Den. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you you've worked in a startup quite recently drew and you, you just <laughs> the other the other kind of side of it i personally quite like working with startups i mean i do a little bit with it and i've always found that it's not as process heavy and so you can have a little bit more influence on something um, which i've always personally enjoyed i, I think that can be uh, uh good and a bad thing I of think course can, yeah uh can swing wildly as well yeah. Like being able to be flexible is cool, but not having, uh, you know, documentation of your uh, design development and not having traceability can be, uh, yeah, a silver bullet as well. So, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you specialize in that and that you set out to do that as well. I think that's, um, I think that's very cool because a lot of the time I suspect that agencies kind of just, uh, you know, adopt the shape of the of the niche that they end up in, uh, rather than setting out to do something like that. So, um, like, was that something that? I mean, where where did that come from? When you start an agency, everybody says, when you start anything, to be honest, everyone says you've got to have a target audience. You know, you've got to you've got to sort of start niche, even if you then sort of grow out from there. But the idea of pigeonholing ourselves into a category, especially because we weren't long off graduating so mm. for those who don't know I founded with a with a co-founder um Panorama with with a guy called Rob uh he left after a year but obviously we did start that journey together and obviously thinking about what we wanted to do or how we wanted to specialize is really difficult because you're fresh we were fresh from university we didn't have a specialty we didn't mm. have a backstory where we could say right you know we have been working at furniture designers or um or a homeware design company or tech design company for the last five years we already have that specialty let's just sit in that space um so it was like okay well whatever we wherever we specialize we're going to have to learn uh we don't and the thing about working with startups was that we could as being a young agency and it's not it doesn't take rocket science to work this out we could charge less um, we had to charge less because we weren't as experienced as those who were charging more and startups could afford us. So we attracted the right client uh, and and being able to, obviously we've had some critical decisions along the way where we obviously need to grow as an agency, our overheads become bigger. How do we then charge more and and maintain that startup client? But I think you know there are there are companies out there that there are startups out there that are funded People who invest in startups understand the cost of product development, and those start and those startups are going to other agencies already. So why don't we just kind of scoop them up and take them ourselves? And knowing that, then for them, knowing that we understand the absolute ins and outs of the process of taking product to market as a startup, 
with an investor breathing down your neck, with time pressures, with people who pre-ordered your product. And um, and we absolutely like get it. We, we've, we've gone through that process and that is the only process we go through. So mm-hmm. startup, it can be very comfortable knowing that we're they're in good hands, not just from a design perspective, but from all the other little bits and pieces that, that they don't necessarily even know about. So it's an education yeah. process as much as a design process. Yeah. What would you say percentage-wise of your clients where the actual decision-maker or, I don't know, founder is it's not actually a designer by trade, and so it's just someone with an idea? Um, do you find you're, you're, you're still communicating with a designer kind of in-house or it's like, I don't know, a physician or a doctor or, you know, just some, it's someone from a different walk of life that just needs that design expertise. In fact, I think only one project that we're working on at the moment, the, the founding team has an element of a design background, but mostly it's, it could be anything. I mean, mm. as you say, we've got, we've got marketing backgrounds, physicians, um, uh, and uh, eye specialists, um, you know, they, they can be from all walks of life. Mm. Yeah, it's quite nice, though, isn't it? When you get someone who's an expert in something that you, you know, you know it exists, but you don't know much behind the behind that initial sort of layer. Um, and when you get to hear these people who maybe come up with a, a technology or an algorithm or something, um, and they just have this sort of more and more knowledge. You, you, the more conversations you have with them, something else gets revealed. Like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. That must be a nice kind of uh, a nice easy motivation for the for the team as well. The, the best thing about it is is that we are working with the per- people who have had the idea. Yeah. We're not. It's not like okay, there's a CEO all the way up there, and then there's like a you know five levels down the ladder. We're dealing with someone, and it's not their money, and it's not. It, it's just their job that, that is kind of on the line here. It's not their reputation or their career or their business. It and so, but the, the people we're working with, it does mean that much to them. And mm. as a result, yes, there's it's high intensity, and yes, the risks are slightly. You know, there's kind of a lot on the line, but the passion is there. The, the the real drive is there, and it's really exciting when it goes when it all works and it all comes together. Like they're just genuinely the excitement's real, like really mm. real, and, uh, and and we really we really feed and thrive off that. Yeah, it's my kind of transition nicely into a listener question. Sometimes it doesn't always go as plain sailing as this. Um, but, so. We we get listener questions now, and I feel like I have to ask the listener question because if I don't, then you just get mauled basically. So you've asked me for these questions, and you're not even bloody told the person what the question is. So um, this is from a chat called Anthony that emailed in. So thank you for that. And um, he actually said, Drew, I wish you were around when I was graduating. And I stretched that message to you. I thought it was a nice thing for someone to say, Drew. And we didn't even have to pay them to say it. (laughs) So he said, how, this may not be as relevant now, now it's kind of pure startup, but how did you get a seat at the table with clients who already had well-established relationships with other agencies? Uh, Maybe that's not a battle you've had to face um, as much. Um, we, we have actually just taken on a project where they previously had worked with other agencies. And actually, we we have taken on projects halfway through that have started in other agencies and then the client sort of fallen out of love or made made a realisation that actually there's someone better out there. Um, uh, I think I think the thing is, is that 
everybody offers something slightly different and sometimes I mean some 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 established companies will deliberately seek to bring on new agencies every time they've got creative you know a creative uh, process that needs to happen because they want a new take on something and mm. I think that's a really good thing to do obviously then it means that you as a company when you do have uh you as an agency when you do have like a a, a brand who seem to be quite loyal to you you always are kind of in the back of your mind that they might change their mind and, and seek just to, to to do exactly the same and hop to another creative team and you mm. kind of have to be okay with that so mm. it kind of goes both ways I think if it was me I, I think the most important thing is to put it yourself in their position like if it was you what are you what what would you want to do and I would I love working with other creative teams and and seeing what insights they bring so why wouldn't you I mean even people who've got in-house designers often bring external creative teams in and uh, I thought so I think I think it's just about being quite bold about what you can potentially offer that does differ from what they've had before but also acknowledging that you don't know everything and mm. you would always if possible would love to have a kind of crossover where you could glean as much as you can from that previous team. I know that that's often not something that happens, but but yeah, trying to kind of not disregard what's happened before, but learn from it and and, and acknowledge that and then take it in, in a different way. Because you've always, Drew, you've always kind of liked that external uh, team, haven't you? Because we spoke about it before, yeah. you, you didn't see it as this threat of who are these people and why are they doing dark no, work but that, no, it's like no, finally i've got i've got another creative i can actually talk to that might actually understand the pain i'm going through yeah absolutely um and yeah like we've said before you know i've definitely worked in teams where the prospect of working with an outside agency is met with like oh well, 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 why what's wrong with us you know like we're, we're here you know oh my god we could do it for so much cheaper but yeah and you know, it's as it's as Joseph says. You bring on uh, a fresh pair of eyes and and someone that's maybe just working a different way. Often, when you're in house, you're working in the confines of that house of that um, of their processes. And if you're not bound to that, then you can kind of do things a little bit differently. And that's always I think that is helpful. Sometimes it's jarring, and sometimes it doesn't work. And maybe that's why you know teams uh, switch halfway through or partway through. And I know that I've also worked at companies where like they've got maybe I think at one point, one project, three different agencies working in parallel behind behind closed doors, not sharing, uh, but doing yeah, parallel work to get to this sort of um almost like a dragon's den situation where you know you turn up they, they turn up judges out judges houses or something. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, like turn up and you go that's so expensive to do. Whereas you could have just got like yeah just just one team or a couple of a couple of different bits of insight, and it's it's really kind of self defeating. Um, but no, I mean I love it. You get to when you're in house and surrounded by people who are not designers, um, and I don't mean that as any disrespect. It's just like when you get to hang out with with a team of them for a few weeks at a time. That's awesome, and you learn loads and you grow and so you sort of go. Oh, I haven't we don't we do things like that and on how it can fit it in, you know? Hmm. So I, I think I that's cool. And um, what I was going to ask Joe is, um, like how much of it do you get to, to do these days? Because hmm. you, you talked about it being a lean, small team. I just wondered, does that mean that you still get to uh, kind of roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty? Yeah, definitely. I uh, absolutely love being involved in the creative process still. And whether it, 
I, I obviously don't do as much as before. Uh, I do take slightly more of a creative director role than being involved in leading projects like kind of day to day, which I think suits me better because I, so I mean, I'm, I can hit a deadline. Like I'm, I'm very aware of, of being able to hit a deadline, but I tend to be very easily distracted. So mm-hmm. being able to kind of bounce from project to project suits me quite well. And the, yeah, but I really, I mean, last week I, or yeah, last week I, I was, I was surface modeling stuff in 3D until the wee hours uh, because it was like, I just wanted to get this one curve that wasn't quite yeah. right. Right. And, and sharing that backwards and forwards with one of the other teams, uh, team members. Um, when I say wee hours, I mean like 9 p.m. Like we never <laughs> work late nights. <laughs> that feels like the wee hours to me. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. And, and then, I mean, but then also this, this week, like yesterday, I spent an entire day just on business development and, and okay, what's, what's Marama going to look like next year and mm-hmm. constantly kind of thinking more about that as well. So it's a, it's a kind of a mix of everything. And at the moment it's a really happy, happy medium, but yeah. obviously one of my focus is like, how do I maintain that role as we grow bigger and there is more managerial stuff to be done? And do I make the decision of taking that on myself or trying to bring someone else in that can yeah. support that? Did you, did you find any challenge as you're like, I'd imagine part of that is that you have to give up a little bit of control to, to the other designers to actually run things. But did you find that like, oh, I use layer as an example, because it's, um, I remember that certain kind of clients would want, they were working with layer because they wanted to work with Benjamin Hubert. That is why they wanted to work with them. So when he is now not involved in that work and it's just one of his staff, it's like, well, we wanted to work with you. We didn't want to work with, with this guy. But did you find any where it's like, actually, I'm probably not going to be as involved in this as much. And we've got a great member of the team here that can pick it up. But did you find any, not conflict, I'm trying to think of the right word, but any, or did you fear that there might be resistance of actually now I'm handing it over that maybe I might lose some work off the back of it? Have all clients been fine? No, cl- kind of clients have been fine. I've never, I've, I don't think I've ever really been the face of Marama. Right. But it's something that perhaps is, as I, you know, do more of these podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like people put a name and a face to me as as the as the lead. But um, but no, I mean, I don't think that there's been any problems. To be honest, the pandemic's really helped me feel more comfortable with relieving control uh, okay. on on projects because I have had no choice when I'm not in the office with the team day to day. Uh, they've picked up more and more responsibility and you just find stuff happens and it's amazing and you kind of get to feed it. But we have lots of touch points throughout the week where we can just sit, critique, feedback on, just review work. Uh, so it's very, very collaborative. Um, and as I said, I really don't, I'm not really the lead on projects anymore. The person that that client is expecting to be their kind of go-to uh, and so yeah and we've fortunately never had that problem but I've also never at, never, at any point has the agency been called after my own name sure. which obviously <laughs> Benjamin has probably had <laughs> that challenge so um so yeah I, I I'm fortunately will never have to have that. I never yeah, have that so yeah tell us about the last year then because um following on you following you on Instagram I've always got the impression that it's kind of remote working slightly pained you in the sense of you're not around the team um it, I, has it been a, an okay 
thing remote working um have you you dying to get yourself back into the studio with the guys or what's the state of play on that of course i mean i miss everybody a lot we we've it that they, they, everyone's been incredible the team's mm. been absolutely incredible in handling it i think we've done our the most important thing has been just supporting each other in terms of just like how are you doing checking in with people and just just making sure that on those moments where we're all feeling a bit frazzled and a bit frustrated, especially kind of towards the end of the summer last year, that that we were trying to just give people like a little bit of space, a bit of time. Um, perhaps things took a little bit longer uh, to, to get done, but the standard of work never dropped. Um, obviously, I miss the team a lot. We are going, we have to, the nature of the work, kind of go in every now and then to pick up things, like get prototypes, um, share stuff around and, and and review physical kind of stuff together and when we do so in, in a safe way as we possibly can but um coming out of this on the other side we we're just we haven't really said this to anyone yet but we're, we're actually going to be moving into a new space um obviously the team know this isn't going to be the first <laughs> time that they hear about it but uh but yeah we're um we're really really excited and it's it's a much bigger space it's going to be our own space because we've always been in a kind of co-working environment which mm just in some ways as we were a small team was a really really good good thing to have a community of creators around us that were doing all slightly different things but this is going to be the first time we've had our own office and I think that feeling of we're exiting this period of of um I wouldn't say isolation because obviously we're in we're with each other all the time online but this idea that we can go back into a physical space a space that is a blank canvas for us to work out how we want to use that uh, week in week out and you know even day by day and whether it and not as a space where it's like okay here's my desk I go in I sit down I put my headphones in and work because obviously we can just do that at home and we know we can do that now but yeah. really a kind of a space to play to collaborate to make um and yeah so so come May when things start to move out like we're allowed out again that's that's something we're all really looking forward to good well congratulations on that I'm sure it'll be one of those things where you'll look back over the six seven years and think this is another little landmark moment you know we've got our own space now yeah. um so uh well done i suppose that's the, the, the that's the you know it's nice to hear some positivity um yeah i suspect because, there's gonna be a lot of uh, team outdoor activity days uh across the uk um once uh once once we're allowed to do that kind of thing you know going and, and doing um it's like it, the it's a knockout and the wipeout type of things that yeah you know the big corporations send you on. I don't know if like if your team would do that kind of stuff because when you're a small team and you're in each other's uh, you know working environment all the time, anyway, you perhaps don't need so much of that. You've probably got a good camaraderie anyway. But um, some of the bigger organisations, you don't know the names of most of the people in the building. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I was chatting to someone the other day, and they were mentoring a couple of um, young kind of grads, and they it's been a year since they left university now but they and they've been working but they've never ever ever worked in an office they don't know they've never met their employee they don't even know what the office environment's like and it's to think that that is 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 yeah it's really strange um I mean, I mean I've got I've got a team member that I've never met face to face and and a lot of work has been done on that kind of onboarding and how we how we integrate people into the team who aren't there physically um, and actually, it kind of works when everyone's remotely, you're all on the same page. And I think it's going to be a really interesting challenge that we face ahead of us when 
when some people are like, well, actually, no, I kind of like working from home, but then everyone else goes back into the office. Yeah. There's lots of very nervous people in like talent acquisition at the minute where they're like, I think if we don't do this right, 10 or 15 of us, are, they're all going to bugger off and leave, basically. <laughs> There's very lots of, if you know anyone in internal recruitment, they're quite a nervous bunch um, at, at, at the minute. But yeah. um, one thing that we did, well, I, I said, I don't know about Drew, but I wanted to talk about because we was on, I don't know if you remember Drew, but we was on a bidder webinar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was this a couple of months ago. And you were speaking and you talked quite, um, it, it was great actually, it was about this kind of integration of design business, if I remember rightly. And I don't know if it was your brother that was um, in a slightly different discipline, but there was this real integration at an educational level. Didn't know if you yeah. could contextualize that maybe for the people that are listening because I thought that was just a really interesting observation and is a definite challenge that I know a lot of people go through in terms of how do you actually learn business um so <laughs> you could, uh, I don't know if you had um you could just expand on that for the people that are tuning in yeah definitely because because obviously our nature of work with startups we really understand the impact our decisions as designers have on the business with regards to the cost of the product, the cost of the development, the the um, even the kind of the user experience, and therefore the proposition that you're putting to the to the customer, and how you make that sale, um, but mostly around sort of logistics as well, and um, and there's very little understanding, I think, from a lot of designers with regards to the real impact that their decisions are having on 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 a potentially the the business offering of that product and I think that needs to be more of that at university there needs to be a better connection between the designers and the and the you know people in in business and whether that's whether that's like that they just need maybe a a course on it I mean I know Mm -hmm. that a lot of a lot of um design uh courses do have like a business module but it's not really I don't think it's enough um, but it also, you know, an easier way perhaps of doing that would be to offer some, uh, you know, that module or some classes alongside business school students. Uh, and the reference, uh, the um, the uh, example that I that I mentioned on that on that um, webinar, Brad, was that my brother is an architect. No, right. sorry, my brother is a civil engineer, <laughs> but he uh, he studied alongside architects and they ran the course together. So they had a huge crossover, and obviously that's another area where. You can obviously have architects who don't understand civil engineering and civil engineering mm. don't understand architects. And when it, it comes to the to the um, the actual you know in the industry and they end up working together on a project, they can't speak the same language, don't see eye mm. to eye. Then then problems occur. And I think the same thing happens with um, you know with business decisions. And the designer is very much like stuck in their ways and wants to make this, this like aesthetics and and user experience is, is king, whereas and the kind of disregarding the business decision in the same way as I mean, the other kind of side of it is designers and engineers often don't see eye to eye, um, and you know both. Have we, have we brought have we brought on any engineers? I don't know if we've brought on any engineers on on Design Truth yet. Have we? Um, I don't know any of, any of them. That any of the guests that would like, claim to be a full. <laughs> but there again, actually, <laughs> some of the don't early, want to go on. early guests. Um, I seem to remember us talking a lot about. Um, you know, uh, about specifically design for manufacture. And I was going to say, Joe, Joe to uh, to mention that. Then it's 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 still it's it's part of that overlap, isn't it? You you can't just have something that's desirable. It has to obviously be feasible and viable too. And I remember being in uni, and a lot of 
time and attention spent on design for manufacture, different processes. And, you know, you'd run projects where you'd say, oh, it has to be uh, injection molded or compression or whatever. Um, and it has to feature a cantilever or something like this. So, you, you, you know, you're working on a snap fit or something like that. But it's rare that you have that same sort of angle in a in a uni project where you go right. This is a cost saving design, and I think that would be. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's right. It's vital. Mm. We used to do um, we used to do a little bit of work with Brompton, and when they used to um, do a design task, you know, like when I don't know, you you've got to third into or something, and they say, "Go right here, here's a task, or whatever." They would actually like. Um, their task, I don't know if they do it now, is they used to give the person the bike. So they used to give them the bike and say, look, go and do your thing for a week with this bike and then come back to us and then tell us how you reduce um, cost by 5% on the brakes. So it was very much that kind of, it was a business element to it. And on, from a design, even though it was like a design task, it was like, how do you reduce, you know, the cost of this very small part of the, the the actual bike itself and it's one of those things where I'm, I'm hoping that if design and business did integrate at an educational level that it would solve the portfolio conundrum of you probably get far more sent to me than what i get and i get quite a few but it looks beautiful but you wouldn't mass manufacture the thing and, it, <laughs> and, it, it, and it's like you, maybe if there was a better education at an early level that not many people would fall into that trap um i hope yeah. so anyway Definitely. It doesn't, not everything should be driven by business, but ultimately it is. Yeah. So um, I think it's just it's just having an understanding about the implications of certain design decisions on ultimately it's feasibility, but feasibility typically means like, does is it within budget? Yeah. Um, and 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 so because I mean even even complex injection, you know, complex plastic parts, there always is a way to make them. They could be 3D printed and you can 3D print anything, but it's not going to be within budget. So yeah. I think that, um, yeah, that it's ultimately it's kind of a lot of it is driven by business decisions. And I think designers kind of take the easy way out a lot of the time. And, and it's like, yeah, it just looks beautiful. But when you really take it apart, it's like, well, it's just not feasible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of the things that um, that I think, where am I, where, how, how, what's my route into this? Yeah, I think it's the consideration of the full range of, stakeholder requirements at the start rather than just like user requirements that I think we do naturally as as design it's also okay well here's your target cost of goods you know for, for finishing here's the um, manufacturing capabilities that are available to it and um, yeah I think like a, a, a full kind of rigorous way of looking at that I know it sort of frightens people off when you talk talk to designers about yeah we're going we're, we're going to put metrics on all of this you're going to be able to judge all the, but like it's super helpful. You get further down the line and you can decide whether your content is actually hitting the, the brief or not rather than trying to force it through uh, verification or something like that and keep having to come back. The biggest thing I think that it would it would really help with is that there are so many really good ideas that designers have, but they just don't know how to take them any further. Mm-hmm. And the really important thing is like, how do you even know what to put in a pitch to potentially get it in front of an investor mm. and there's there's some incredible ideas that come out of the final year of university yeah. and there's projects that are run alongside agent um you know established brands but there are plenty of, of ideas that design that designers come up with by themselves that could really go somewhere but they just have no idea how to take that first step 
So even if it was just that getting to that first step where they would be able to get in front of the right people and even know who the right people are, I think that would mean that there's you know a lot of these ideas that are that that are kind of created at university when you've got kind of seven to nine months of just focusing on one thing, which we never get in an agency, um, that uh, they might actually be able to kind of take those further and, and do something with them. Yeah. Sorry, we have to, we have to grads on, didn't we? Um, Drew, and they were talking about their final year projects. And I've had about eight on, Joe. They were like, um, it was a mixed bag of like different kind of things that they'd done post-uni. And... So we were talking about final year projects and half of them were like, um, I wanted to keep the IP for this thing. And then the other half were like, nah. <laughs> and it was, it was, everyone just had a very different kind of outlook on on kind of what they would do with their with their final year project. But you're absolutely right. Some of them, you look at them on my phone and think, wow, this is amazing. But like, what's next? You know, like, it, the, where, where do you take this? Um, yeah, there um, are, there are like, you know, accelerated programmes, um, I know that I know that there's one there's a few up north and then there's the CRL in in London that that do kind of sort of scrape you know the uni- the best from the universities and encourage them to go and take them further and offer them a platform where they can and I think that they're great um but I just think that it it, it would be there would be so much more that you could put into a final year project if you even knew how to design it with business in mind from the beginning rather than yeah. just kind of getting to that point where you've already graduated and now someone's saying okay now you can come and um and take it further but yeah. I mean obviously a lot of students do take do just uh kind of learn on their own um uh, I know that for my final year project it was a long time ago now but uh I it was such a simple project that I did do all of the cost up uh costing where it be made how it be made um uh, what the kind of how you would what the cost um the retail price could be and need to realistically sort of build a business off of it uh and that that was i found it really interesting i can't i can't imagine it was at all accurate um <laughs> but say, at least i you, put the effort in <laughs> what did you do for your final year project was it a whole was it the whole final year uh, it was just a it's a module uh, within the year, but it is it is quite a significant proportion of of the mm. final year at um, at Brunel where I went where I studied. Uh, it, it was run alongside the um, guys at Thomas's Hospital, and it was looking into hand weakness, particularly focused on young people. But it, I wanted to be as um, inclusive as possible, mm-hmm. and it was something. It was literally as simple as like, how does someone who's got hand weakness for you know whatever um medical cause uh open the unlock their door and uh, and so it was basically just like a a, um you see it seems loads of these like everyday carry a little kind of leather key tidies um and it was basically taking that concept but by uh literally as simple as putting two reinforcement little steel plates sewn into the leather sort of wrap you ended up with uh, a really strong um, kind of uh, lever when you when you pulled the key out and and you had that kind of ninety degree sort of door handle mm-hmm. style lever to be able to turn the key in the lock and yeah they were literally that was it and I had a kind of opportunity to take it to production but it never really it never really went anywhere. Well, the what when you think about it now, um, and uh, like all because I go through this sort of setup turmoil. what's your overriding 
sort of reflective uh, emotion about your final year work now? Do you just kind of look at it as, oh, that's really cute? Or are you like, oh my God, I missed something. So, you know, is there anything? I, like- I'm still quite happy with where it went. I mean, I made a couple for my, um, for my gran mm-hmm. and her friends. And, and actually for like one of her, one of her friends, it was the, without that product, she couldn't unlock her door. And so it really did give her, I mean, she's like nearly 90, but severe arthritis. And without that, she couldn't unlock the door herself. And it, so it gave her a level of independence and didn't rely on her husband. Um, so I think my biggest uh, overriding feeling is, is, is a sort of like regret that I didn't do something about it because and I know that I know it's not too late. Like there are still people who have hand weakness, and there's still people who are old and have arthritis. But um, but uh, so I, yeah, I still could. I still probably should. Um, and I think that's probably time. a bit. It's a sort of a shame cloud whenever I think about it. That I haven't. <laughs> but there time. again, like you say, if someone used it and felt the benefit of it, then that's that's awesome. That's like that's what you're trying to do with you know if you grow up and you're pretty good at drawing and then you can use that skill to make someone's life a little bit better that's awesome that's what it's all about isn't it yeah that's, that's why we're all that's why we're all here and um, actually one of the quick we had a listener question from one of the grads to come actually and i'll, and I'll give it to you because i'm conscious about about, about time um it was from honor jennings um drew um that we had on and she asked jay what advice did you have for for women in industrial design but particularly for those that are in that kind of earlier stage of their career so in that kind of first couple of years outside of you they're in this kind of journey I hate to say the word journey but kind of as they develop their career what kind of looking back over the last couple of years what advice would you have for for those in that position I think the the biggest piece of advice I'd have is is that actually you're in a really powerful position as a minority in the industry agencies need you and I think that you should be quite vocal about that uh, especially like never ever be put off by applying to a male dominated industry even if it doesn't feel right but I think you should be quite clear about the fact that you are kind of you want to encourage change and and help them change and I know as a as a you know a 21 year old that seems like a really daunting thing but they'll be very very open to listening to you um if they're not then well I mean raise it in the interview and ask them whether they would be because if they say no that's not really something we're interested in then I, then really I don't work there because um, <laughs> they really uh but but honestly any agency that that is and I know I've spoken to kind of agencies where they they're really struggling with to, to sort of um fix the imbalance of male to female in the, in the um within their team uh, and they are desperate to to hire women and they really they really struggle I've honestly never had a problem finding females for my team but I think obviously maybe they just are that I naturally get more applications because we're already a 50 50 mm. split and and making that kind of first leap and and hiring that the, the kind of first few females onto a team that has been has been all or predominantly male is is very difficult but I think yeah don't underestimate your power as a female in the industry and um and and yeah and be very confident uh about about that um don't don't ever feel like you are there's anything you know there's any there's there's uh you're not as good as anybody else because you're honestly definitely probably better similarly what what do you think that um hiring managers or companies i know like there's such a range of companies that i don't you know i don't expect anybody can answer that in one go but what can we do to kind of make it more clear that you know we, we, 
it's not even just like you know females welcome or something it's like come on like where, where are the applications because like that's the thing I, I, when when i've been hiring before um you know you get maybe one maybe maybe one from uh from a woman with a, a sort of a suitable bit of training or background or something but the rest you get you get guys applying that uh maybe you know you're, you're trying to hire an industrial design you get guys that are uh, quality engineers and you sort of it's not at all relevant, and you. It's just, yeah. I just want to know what we can do. So I think I think it's more about just making a conscious effort. Yeah. What, yeah. What, uh, I mean, to, just to give you an example. Earlier this week, I I did a um, I did a talk at Nottingham Trent, um, and there was about two hundred kids on this thing. I mean, it felt like some sort of production line. I was like, Jesus, where where are all these? How, uh, where where are they going to put all these kids? You know, when, when they actually get out to university. But one of the interesting observations I had was that after the talk, they they said to me that the split was about 70-30. What I found really interesting is when I went onto my LinkedIn afterwards, I would say 90 to 95% of the students that connected with me on LinkedIn were, were women. But I thought it was a really interesting observation where it was like this kind of very much like they are there <laughs> yeah you know it, you've just got to make more of a conscious effort to, to 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 rather than relying on an application you've got to put yourself out there a little bit more and uh, and start to engage at that kind of level that i don't know from your experience joe but that's i'm finding that a lot of the clients that i work with are far more self-aware of, of diversity now whereas if you to go back four or five years ago it, you know, it, it might get brought up in conversation, but I would say every time I bring on a new client now, that's probably the first thing they'll ever say to me is, well, we need a woman in the team. Um, yeah. How do we go about it? And that's actually they're far more self-aware of of that. Um, I wonder if you had any insight of why that, of why that may be. Us, but it, it, it definitely, there's a different movement happening. There's far more kind of vocal, particularly out in the States. Um, yeah, I think... I think there's definitely a lot more people being vocal about it. It's been like a rumbling for a while, but I think more and more people are joining the conversation. Mm. With regards to how it can, you know, how how agencies can go about it, um, I think that there's there's some really obvious things that can be done. I mean, if obviously if you if a man's written a job application, make sure that appear somebody of an equal standing in the industry that is female is looking over it doesn't have to be someone internal but like yeah ideally like another a woman is is it's fair um and in because you it's not it can be really easy especially if you if you live and work in a male dominated kind of environment then the language that you use the environment that you the kind of that's created there it it, it is without realizing might be off-putting to 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 Mm. women starting especially young girls Mm. um and I think so. That's really that's an easy thing to do. The second thing is just how you put your your portfolio across. You know how you present yourself online. I think again, if if you're an all male team or a majority male team, especially at the leadership level, then you're making decisions about how the how the work is portrayed. You're also making decisions about the work that you do. And and I, I can tell. I know. No, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I can tell if a if a product's been designed by an all male team. It, 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 there's just something about it and I think that if you know if that's not just me that can recognize that and and I think you know women might feel like well you know I don't really like don't really resonate with the work you're putting out so why would I want to work it for your agency mm. 
And obviously that's a much, much difficult, I mean, more difficult thing to change. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just, you know, being aware of all the levels that this, that this is, you know, the environment that you have in the office, potentially things that you do throughout the week, like, you know, all going for beers on a Friday and actually, well, you know, some people might not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like the kind of events that you hold, the, the kind of feeling the vibe in the office, mm-hmm. all these, there's so many different things about that will help a, a woman feel more, perhaps more comfortable. Obviously you have to make that first step. I know I've said this before, but I think the best, always the best thing is if you can hire the senior level a, a female at the senior level then it, it, it will instantly just trickle down mm. because but that that is obviously difficult because we have to encourage and it's not going to ever reach the top um yeah. but, but it doesn't uh, but, yeah. but it doesn't seem to be happening because you would i would agree with you in the sense of it should be a lot easier in theory to pick up a graduate female designer because i mean i'm just looking on that nottingham trick or for example and it was like i had 30 40 in my inbox inside five minutes it's like you know i don't do graduate recruitment personally but there's you know there's 30 or 40 there that are entering the industry and that's just within you know a minute of them so that there are out there it's just let's not pigeonhole them into doing cnf work um, which was one thing and you know got to make more of an effort in actually kind of um in, in bringing them even if you rather than just bringing in kind of one graduate at a time can you bring in two or three and so they so it's as a collective rather than just kind of because we've had that we definitely have that issue internally in, in what i do for work is where we've had kind of more so kind of younger girls that have entered recruitment but they if they come in like one it's far more difficult whereas if you bring two or three in at once it's far easier to for them to integrate into the company um that's sort of the personal experience that we've gone through i don't know if you if that's if you feel that's the same within design or or not um i mean it's always going to be difficult to be that first one yeah like no matter what happens I th- there's plenty of there's plenty of things that needs to be addressed within women in design the the distinct lack of role models um the the lack of teachers and tutors that are mm. women i think is a huge problem you might have a 50 50 split and be like well you know we're advertising that you know uh, uh this university course is is nearly 50-50 male to female. I was like, yeah, but the teaching staff is 90% men. men. <laughs> yeah. All the visiting lecturers are 90% men. Where's the role models for those for those women? They're looking, you know, you're presenting such a different view of the future of their career versus their peer groups that when they actually go out to get jobs, they're faced with something that's, that feels so foreign to them that they might just be like, okay, well, um, I'll just go into research because there's more women there or I might yeah. go into... Um, UX because there's there's more women there and that's where I feel more comfortable so I think that's that's certainly something that needs to be addressed and I think there might be a, a slightly more difficult question to ask is is the level of teaching that they're getting uh, during the course at the same level because they're being taught by men who perhaps don't know how to critique or or hold back their critique critique of their of of a, of a female student's work but that is a very broad brushstroke that I. That's a conversation for a different uh, different set of episodes altogether. But I mean, you are right. I've spent some time talking to lecturers over the last couple of months when we started this thing. I remember when we first started, it was at like one o'clock in the morning, and it's me messaging the lecturer at the University of Derby, for God's sake, saying we've got this podcast. You know, your kids, should, you know, your students should listen to this thing. And they're a slightly strange bunch, lecturers. Now, they are very different to, <laughs> that's all I'll say. They are very different to. Uh, 
but the ones at Nottingham Trent were lovely. So um, as I said, I'm just conscious of time, and it was um, one question that we kind of wrap up a, an episode on, uh, which I've already given you a slight heads up on, so you've had time to figure out what your answer may be. Um, but the, the question is always the, the, the strangest brief you've ever been given. Now, I'm hoping you've been given some really strange ones <laughs> at Barama, maybe more so in the early days than now. But um, is there any particular standout that you look back on and you go, that was quite a strange brief? You know what? The, the strangest ones are usually the ones that I can't tell you about because they okay. forced me to sign an NDA. Okay. And then at which point I've signed the NDA and then and then received the brief. And I've been like, what the hell is this? <laughs> no, we can't work on this. I don't think there's a reason for this to exist, but I actually can't then talk about it. Okay. Um, but uh, I mean, we've had some interesting projects for sure. I mean, some of them, like a couple of them we have actually worked on because after the initial sort of what, what, why, <laughs> um, there, there's, they're kind of, you know, there's a quite an interesting rationale behind it. And there is quite clearly like a market. It's just that we didn't understand that market existed. Um, but, uh, I mean, a couple, I mean, I did, yeah, I did prepare a breast milk fridge, I think was one, um, a, a device that, um, sort of prevented, uh, your business from making a splash in the toilet was one um uh a double ended vape um that was another one uh so so yeah i mean <laughs> wait which which end was doubled as in so you could you could you could vape from both sides did that one go to market joe uh no we didn't work <laughs> um I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'm not. I can't. I can't share too much about that project. We didn't. Whilst you know, uh, but um, it wasn't as crazy as it sounds okay. when you actually unpacked the rationale behind it. But uh, but yes, I mean, obviously, when you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure there's kind of the cogs are turning in Drew's mind now of some of those things you just mentioned that he's probably well, thinking, the, the first I've worked on uh, <laughs> the the exact same briefs. Uh, actually, yeah, given my uh, my background and some of the companies that I've worked for. Um, you had some straight, have you had any, I didn't ask you this question, have you had any, what's the strangest brief you've ever been given? Um, I don't know if they're like that strange, it's all like, it's all mostly medical. It's just, it's more like the, uh, the process you go through, it's more like I've been out and bought strange things as sort of retail research um, when designing um uh, like pipes and tubes for people who are in intensive care and can't move and have to have uh you know incomings and outgoings all regulated um and there are products that are out there that do really similar jobs but just for different reasons um and you can go and get them on the high street now when you put those kind of receipts through expenses um you know it's an hr problem um yeah. That, that, that Julie had to uh, step in and resolve for me. Like, I mean, yes, I sent him to Ann Summers to go and buy that. Uh, they're, in the, they're, in, they're in our technical box, um, and we use them to play darts downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, yeah, so that's pretty good. But it's but like the the brief itself, pretty boring. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we did a we did a sex toy project, um, which will be kind of coming up uh, in kind of next couple of months. And whilst it's it's you know really not a strange brief at all, um, there because we were doing most of the work remotely, there was a lot of samples, and they when they're all over your desk and you're on a phone call, 
you do tend to just like pick up and start playing with the things that you have yeah. around. And sometimes your hands are just outside the shot, but what you're waving around isn't isn't outside the shot and uh, my colleague was on a call with her mother and was like waving this rather large um vibrator around and her mother was like is that is it is it a sex toy you're holding <laughs> and you know you have to sort of well I mean it's easy enough to explain the job that we're doing but um there's always that moment of like hmm. I, I think that's it I think you know it leads to just some really awkward conversations and discussions in the team which then just become really good fun and, and like, you know, bonding sessions and stuff as well. But yeah, some of the materials that are used in these products are just fabulous. They're just really tactile and exciting yes. to use. The colours are just super interesting. And yeah, you just end up sort of just like tinkering with them. When they're, when they're Definitely. Really... Yeah. yeah. yeah we If anyone came into the office um, kind of summer last year and looked through the glass meeting rooms um, windows, then they would have seen some interesting kind of I wouldn't say I positions is really not a word you want to say when um talking about these things with regards to colleagues but Mm -hmm. um but yeah certainly kind of trying to understand and and communicate your your thinking uh without being too graphic to your colleagues is you get past the embarrassment very very quickly Yeah. yeah 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 you don't want to share too much because there's obviously you know there's there's people involved that know some of these people you're like well, okay, this is a thing. This is something we have to tackle. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like. Yeah. It. I like. I like when you get into those sort of just the, when the conversation takes on a weird landscape and you're not sure whether you're even supposed to be there or not. Yeah, I, I might have to edit this next line out, but to kind of complete this full circle, I made a place with a with a, with a chap um, for for a sex based company. It's called Mystery Vibe, um, and um, his name was Dave. And so it was like an an all male company from pretty much from top to bottom, and it, that's kind of a, a good living example, I suppose, of like there's no women in that team, <laughs> and it's just like the product is not aimed for people called Dave. Like it's just it, you know it's just not, and I'm sure he's a fantastic kind of product designer in his own right, and you know a lovely fella, but it's just one of those living examples of where it's like. It's not for you, Dave. <laughs> it's been lovely having you on, Joe. Um, thanks for um, taking the time on a yeah. Thursday. Evening. Nice to meet you and nice to have a chat. No, um, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to episode 21 of Design Truth. As always, just type in Design Truth on the internet and you'll be able to find stuff we've done, you know, posts we've made, all that kind of stuff. I don't need to preach the converted thanks for listening as always um, if you ever wanted to sponsor design truth throwing it out there and um, we're talking to a few people at the minute and um, yeah if you ever want to get your product or agency or or brand in front of you know design eyes then um, have a think about design truth um, as always hello at design truth.co.uk and we'll be more than happy to have a chat with you um, so yeah look after yourself everyone and uh, catch up soon